Uh, go ahead and find your seat. You know, um, some people think that Matt Rice has the market cornered on the dad jokes, but I'm here to say that uh, I was the one who named the melting potluck dinner, so I would like that to be recorded, that I, I can do a dad joke every once in a while too. Um, but seriously, it's great to see everybody here today, and really hope that this summer will be a good time of, of connection. Uh, we are a community that's from all over the world, but not only all over the world, from all over the country. And so we're hoping that um, during these, especially during these picnic times and on July 30th in particular, that whether you're from California or Canada or Eastern North Carolina or India or Europe or, or wherever, um, that we'll be able to celebrate the fact that God's brought us here together um, as one family, not because we look the same or we act the same or we eat the same food or anything like that, uh, but because we're his. Amen? And that's what we're here to celebrate. So uh, I, I want to I start by telling you something I remember from high school. Do you guys remember, and I've seen them now too, but I think there were more of them back in the day, those like uh, advertisements for fitness supplements? You guys see, see those? I remember when I was in high school, I read a lot of like sports magazines and like fitness magazines and saw stuff on the internet too. And they're always like those products for you know, lose weight or get jacked or, or something like that. And I remember all those, you know, the before and after pictures. I remember seeing those. And I feel like they've gotten a little bit, maybe they got sued or something, but I feel like they've gotten a little bit more conservative with them recently. But I just remember several years ago, I mean, you see the before and after picture. And I mean, the, the, the before picture, the guy's like all, you know, he's just like, he's like all sad and like fat and like his hair is all messed up, and he looks like nobody loves him, and everything. And, and then you know the after picture, you know, he got a haircut and he shaved. And he's like this. He's got a six pack, and he's got bulging muscles, and he looks like everybody's a huge fan of his. And, and I remember just looking, and it would say like, okay, you know, take this pill, hydroxy cut or something. Um, you know, you take this pill, and you go from like this guy to like this guy. You know, and. Um, I remember reading those and seeing those ads, even as a, a 15-year-old with raging hormones and all of that type of stuff, um, and just thinking, just kind of chuckling to myself sometimes, just being like, man, that's just, that just seems too good to be true. That just seems too good to be true. The idea I'm going to go from like that to, to, you know, the after picture, just by taking this little pill, that seems like it's too good to be true. And the reason I bring that up today is because if you, really, if you really take the Bible seriously, if you really read this book, and you, you, know, you don't just kind of skim it, or you don't just kind of believe the, the version of what the Bible says that gets talked about in the media, or on TV, or on the news, or something like that, if you actually open your Bible, and you read what God says to us in the Bible. What you're going to find 
is that there are promises that God makes in His Word that puts hydroxycut to shame. There are promises in God's Word. Again, if you're actually taking it seriously, if you're actually paying attention, if you're not, maybe it's just like, oh, be a good person, brush your teeth, like give some money to the poor or whatever. But, but if, you, if, you actually, if you actually are paying attention to what the Bible says, there's going to be things that you read in here where you think, that just seems too good to be true. That just seems too good to be true. For the past several weeks, we've been looking in Genesis at the life of a man named Abram. And Abram is a man that the Bible says that he was the man of faith. Who is Abram? He's the man of faith. And so when we look at Abram and the way he relates to God and his interactions with God, we can learn what it means for us to have faith, to live as men of faith and women of faith and boys of faith and girls of faith by looking at Abram's example that we see in Genesis. And we've been looking at Abram's journey of faith and thinking how it relates to our own personal journey of faith. And today, we're going to see an episode in Abram's life where God makes him a promise, and he's just like, this is too good to be true. This is too good to be true. And as all of our parents taught us growing up, if it seems too good to be true, it probably is, right? So we're going to see what God does with Abram when he feels his promises are too good to be true and learn something about what it means for us to respond to God too. Sound good? Let me pray for us, and then we'll dive into the Word. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for your Word. Thank you that you speak to us. Help us to love your word. I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would work right now through me, through all of my brothers and sisters here. Would you work in us to help us to understand your word, to believe it, to obey it, and to be able to teach it to others too. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, turn with me in your Bibles. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, either a hard copy or on your, on your device, turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17. I'll give you a, a couple of moments to get there. And again, remember, we've been looking at the life of Abram, and there's been highs and there's been lows. There's been points where he has been very faithful and points where it feels like it seems like he hasn't had faith at all. But again, we're looking at Abram's journey of faith that we see described in Genesis and looking at how this compares to our own personal journey of faith. Okay, so I'm going to start in Genesis chapter 17. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. So Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, when Abram was 99 years old, remember when Abraham, when Abram, later known as Abraham, when he was 75 years old, not a spring chicken, when he was 75 years old, God appears to this man named Abram, and he makes him a promise. He makes him two promises. He says he's going to bless him by giving him 
a family with descendants that are more numerous than all of the stars in the sky. And second, that he's going to give them a new home, that he's going to take that prime piece of real estate that's the land of Canaan, and he's going to give it to Abram to, to be his home. That was when he was 75 years old. Fast forward 24 years later, where is Abram at? 24 years have gone by. He has one son, which isn't even born from his wife, but because of what Matt talked to us about last, uh, last week, the episode with, with Abram and, 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 uh, and Hagar, he has one, one son who was born out of wedlock, and that's it. And he, he's living in the land of Canaan, but he doesn't own anything. It's surround, he's surrounded by all these powerful people that are not, a lot, not about to let him get his foot in the door to live there permanently. 24 years, almost 25 years have gone by. Imagine if, high school students, imagine if one day you, you proposed to, to a girl and you got engaged, okay? Let's say in 2023... You got engaged. Imagine if you came back in 2048 and were like, hey, I want to follow up on that whole engagement thing. I know we haven't gotten married yet, but hey, I just want to let you know I still remember. What would that be like? Have you ever waited for anything for 25 years? That's a long time. So when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. So again, he's saying, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be in a relationship with you. In verse 3, then Abram fell on his face. Probably is an act of worship showing that he, even after these 24 years, he's still trusting God. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Okay, so here's where it starts to get a little bit interesting. Because God's not only, in these next few verses, he's not only reminding Abram of the promises he's already made, he's turning up the volume some. He's upping the ante to where if Abram thought these promises were hard to believe before. They're definitely, they definitely seem too good to be true today. So in verse 4, it says, Behold, my covenant is with you. I will make you a father of a multitude of nations. Before, I will make you into a great nation. Now we're talking about plural nations. And then in verse 5, no longer... No longer shall you be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. In Hebrew, the word Abram, it means exalted father, which is already a little bit embarrassing if you're 75 years old and your wife's infertile and your name is exalted father. Now his name is being changed to not just exalted father, but to the father of multitudes. That's what Abraham means, the father of multitudes. And you have to believe that for Abram, or Abraham, I guess we could call him now, this is when it starts to feel like 
you, you know, you're looking at like the before picture and then like the after picture and you're looking at like the little pit and you're like, really? Are you serious? I, I don't know. This is where it starts to get a little bit ridiculous. Imagine Abraham walking around. Imagine the things people would say about him. You know, that's not, that, would that really be encouraging? It would be like a joke. That's like when you call the, the fat guy tiny. Or like you call the short person, you call him giant. Right? Can you imagine that, how the people in, Abram, in Abraham's house, how they would be like, oh, who's this guy? Oh, well, he's, our, you know, he's the master of the house. Well, how many kids does he have? Well, he has one kid that was born out of wedlock, but other than that, his wife's infertile. Oh, what's his name? His name is the father of multitudes. <laughs> you think people might have been poking fun at him behind his back? A little bit with that? I think they probably would have been. So God changes his name to Abraham. And then in verse 6, he says, And I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and he's up in the ante again, and kings shall come from you. So not only are we going to have multiple nations, but now your descendants are going to be kings. And not just king singular, but multiple kings are going to come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. Okay, now we're talking about everlasting. Now we're talking about forever. Again, God's just upping the ante. To be your God and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, this prime piece of real estate, all of the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. But then God really starts to make things seem too good to be true. He really starts to make things seem too good to be true. Skip down with me to chapter 17, verse 15. And then God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you will not call her Sarai, but Sarah will be her name. So, so far, God has promised Abraham that he is going to have, that he's going to have all these descendants, more, more numerous than all the stars in the sky. He hasn't said who the mother would be. And Sarah, at this point, his 90-year-old wife, has been infertile for her entire life. And by God saying that not only am I changing your name from Abram to Abraham, I'm also changing Sarai's name to Sarah. What he's saying is, this is even better than you thought it was going to be. This is going to be even better than you understood it to be before. Because your offspring is not going to come from the concubine in your house. It's going to come from your wife. The wife that you've loved, the wife that you've been married to for your whole life. I will bless her, he says in verse 16, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations, plural. Kings of people shall come from her. And then this is when Abraham, this is when Abraham he's looking at that hydroxycut picture, and he's like, okay, fat, you know, sad, depressed, take this one pill, boom, two weeks later, six-pack, you know, perfect haircut, big smile, and he, he's just like, <laughs> this is ridiculous. 
And he laughs in disbelief. In verse 17, he says, he fell on his face and he laughed. Before he fell on it, he just fell on his face. Now he falls on his face and he laughed. And he said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And God said, and Abraham said to God, oh, the Ishmael, his other son by the concubine, might live before you. God, we already have, this is already hard enough. This is already unbelievable enough. If you're going to do this to the son I already have, who's about 13 years old by this point. I'll just do this through Ishmael. Don't, you don't, ah, that's too hard to believe that you do it through a son that you're going to give to my wife. But God said in verse 19, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, which means laughter. You think there's some irony there? I told you what I'm going to do, and you, you laughed in my face because you thought it was too good to be true. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you that son, I'm going to name him laughter, just so you'll remember that I do what I'm going to say I, that I'll do. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Okay, so I have three points today, and the first one is, if it seems too good to be true, this is what your mom taught you when you were growing up, if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. That's the way Abraham's feeling. This just seems too good to be true. When I was 75 years old and you came to me telling me about lands and peoples and stuff like that, you know, I had faith then, but it was still pretty far-fetched. But now, 99 years old, infertile wife, going to become father of multitudes, that's just ridiculous. If it seems too good to be true, then we, often like Abraham, just assume, well, it probably is, Right? Think about the promises that God's made to you for a minute. God has not, I hope this doesn't disappoint you, God has not promised to, probably this is encouraging, don't worry, you're not going to have a child when you're 90 years old, <laughs> probably, I don't know. <laughs> but God has not promised that you're going to have, that your kids are going to be kings and queens. God has not promised that he's going to give you you know, some prime real estate in downtown Cary or a big piece of acreage somewhere else. God, those aren't the specific promises God's made to you. But what promises has God made to you? Think about the promises. Again, if, when you read God's Word, and for those of you that do make a habit of reading the Bible, probably a really good thing to do would be pay attention to the promises that God makes in His Word. That's one thing I like to do a lot as I'm doing my daily Bible reading, that's one question I'll ask is, what is God promising to me, to his people through this particular passage? That's a really good thing to be aware of as you're reading your Bible. But think about the promises that God has made to you. You know, there's one promise that I don't think that we think about as often as we should that God has made to us, and that's the promise of community. It's a promise of 
community. I want you to think about this with me for a minute. This is a promise that God has made to every single person who would turn away from their sin and turn towards Jesus and receive him as their king and as their savior. This is what God says to every single person who's in this room. That if you put your faith in Jesus as your king and as your savior, he immediately forgives you of all of your sins, past, present, and future. Just like that. He immediately forgives you of all of your sins, past, present, and future. Oh. Some of you might have been working for a long time to try to feel like you've been forgiven for certain sins you committed. Just like that. God forgives you for all of your sins, past, present, and future. But that's not all. God also says in John 1.12 that when you put your faith in Jesus, not only does he forgive you of your sins, he adopts you as his son or as his daughter. Oh my gosh. Not only do I not have to be punished, not only do I not have to live with guilt and shame, I get to be a daughter of God. I get to be, you know, my earthly father was a mess, but I get to have God as my actual father? Man. But it doesn't stop there. In Ephesians 2, 19, God says that God not only forgives you of all of your sins, past, present, and future, not only does he adopt you as a son or a daughter, he welcomes you into his family. He welcomes you into the family of God. And according to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, and many other places that we read in the New Testament, this community, this family of God, that if you're a disciple of Jesus that you are a part of today, this community, this family of God is not like any other community that you have ever experienced ever in your life. This family of God, it's not a place, it's not like the world. It's not like any other group. It's not a place that's characterized by selfishness, by division, by pride, by greed, by prejudice. Instead, the family of God it's this countercultural community that instead is characterized by love, by generosity, by acceptance, by humility, by unity, in spite of all the diversity that we have. Let me ask you, for how many of you long for that in your heart? How many of I know I've talked to some of you recently that, man, if I could just have feel like I'm in that type of community, unified, generous, full of love, truly knowing each other? How many of you in your hearts, that's really what deep down you are longing for? I know for me that's something I'm longing for. Are you experiencing it? Does that ever feel like it's too good to be true? When you look around and you see church scandals and church splits 
and friends that used to be super, super close that now don't talk to each other, and people who have been partners in ministry that then turned against each other, and relationships that used to be really joyful that are now super painful and fragmented and broken. I don't know about you, but when I think about that, that that's what God has promised us, I can't help but be a little bit like Abram, like Abraham, and be like, <laughs> what, you're telling me that that's what you're doing with this group of people? Look at us. We're terrible. We don't love each other. We're always fighting. Look at all the church splits and all of the church drama. You're telling me that you're going to take us from like, from like this to like this? And you're like, that just seems too good to be true. And if it seems too good to be true, then it probably is. Well, point number two. Number one, if, it's, if it sounds too good to be true, then it probably is. Except with God. Except with God. Turn with me to over to chapter 21. Genesis chapter 21. So God promised that Sarah and Abraham, we can officially call them now, he promised them one year later. Again, it's been 24 years. He promised them, by the time you're 100, for Abraham, I will visit Sarah, she will conceive, and she will bear you a son. And this is the son that I'm going to bless in all these ways that I've said that I would. Chapter 21, verse 1. And the Lord visited Sarah as he said... And the Lord did to Sarah as he promised, and Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah, again, his, his beloved wife, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac, which means laughter. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, when he was eight days old, and God commanded, as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, listen to this, you think God doesn't have a sense of humor? Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. What did Abraham do when God first said that Sarah was going to have a son? He laughed in disbelief. But now Sarah says, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. See, before Abraham was laughing in disbelief, but now Sarah's laughing, and Abraham's laughing, and their friends are laughing, not out of disbelief, but out of joy. Because here's the thing, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is, except with God. Except with God. With God, he does everything that he says he will do, and when he does it, forget about the hydroxycut ad or whatever, like, are you going to be able to get that result? Go way beyond that. When God shows up and does what he promises us to do, not only is it not too good to be true, the reality is always better than we could have ever imagined. And so here's Sarah at 90 years old 
who for 90 years have struggled with the shame and the guilt of infertility, the sorrow, the disappointment, and now she's holding her son laughter in her arms. And it's better than she could have ever imagined it. And for those of us that are Christians too, we know that in this passage, not only is God making a promise, making good on a promise that he made to Abraham and Sarah about having a son, he's actually working to fulfill a much bigger and a much more important promise too. Do you know what that is? We started our series in Genesis way back in Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve, they rebel against God, they sin, evil, sin, suffering, and death, trash God's world, and God forces them to be removed from his presence, but he makes them a promise. He says that one day there will be a man that he calls the offspring of a woman, the offspring of a woman that's going to come that's going to defeat the serpent, the deceived Adam and Eve, that's going to defeat God's enemies and and restore his broken world. And now this little baby that Sarai, now called Sarah, is holding in her arms, this is that offspring. And one of Isaac's grandsons, 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 et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, a couple thousand years later, is going to be born in the land of Canaan named Jesus Christ, who was the one who did defeat Satan, sin, and death, and who does restore God's broken world. So if it seems too good to be true, it probably is, except with God, in which case it will come true, and when it does come true, it will be better than you could have ever imagined. So, so what do we do? What are we supposed to to do with this? What we've seen in the story of the life of Abraham and his journey of faith, we've seen God makes God makes these these like laughably ridiculous, over the top promises that God makes to Abraham, and then he waits a long time. He waits decades, but. God's promises might not come true immediately. They might not come true in the way that we would have thought or when we would have thought, but they all come true. And when they come true, they're better than we could have ever imagined. So what does that mean for you? Again, think about this promise that God has given to us. You put your faith in Jesus as your Savior, as your King. He forgives you. He adopts you. He welcomes you into his family, and he also uses his Holy Spirit to transform this family into a community that we all truly long for in our hearts, the community that everybody longs for, everybody tries to create, but nobody's been able to achieve. What do do we do with that promise? Does that ever seem too good to be true to you? It does to me. There's two things that you could do. There's at least... Well, there's at least two wrong things that we could do when we think about that promise or any other promise that you think about in God's word that if you're taking it seriously enough should probably sound at least too good to be true. 
there's at least two things that you could do that would be wrong responses. The first thing that you could do would be just to give up. Just give up. And we see that today. How many people have walked away from faith, walked away from God? And why is that? They've experienced church hurt. The Bible says that God's community, God's family is supposed to be this countercultural community characterized by love and generosity and unity. But so often it's not. And so people get hurt or they get abused and, and then they, they give up. And they leave and they say, I should have known when I first saw that picture, nobody gets, goes from that to rip six-pack abs in two weeks. I should have known it was too good to be true when I heard it. And they just give up. The second thing that we can do that I think a lot of people are doing in America these days, which I think is also very dangerous, is you get crafty. You get crafty. You remember how we talked about this? That what we've seen in Abraham's life, when he's having trouble believing in God, he gets crafty. He takes matters into his own hands, and instead of trusting God to give him what he promised, he starts trying to find his little conniving, scheming, backdoor ways to make it work. Pretending that Sarah is his sister and not his wife, having a baby with Hagar instead of with his wife Sarah. Right? And, and lots of other examples, too. And so many people today, I think, when we think about this idea of community and unity and fellowship that we all long for, so many of us are wanting to get crafty. What could that look like? It could look like, you know, I'm still going to go to church. I'm still going to be around people that are Christians. But I'm going to make sure I find people who are exactly like me, who look exactly like me, who think exactly like me, who have the same hobbies as me, and I'm going to self-sort into this little cluster of people who everybody is exactly like me and nobody ever says anything that challenges me. Nobody ever says anything that stretches me. Nobody ever says anything that makes me uncomfortable. I never have to do work to try to understand people's perspective because we're all this type of person. And we get crafty and we end up finding this group of people that maybe they are Christians, maybe they are disciples of Jesus, but what they really have in common is not that they're all disciples of Jesus. The main thing they have in common is some other thing. And we get crafty. Well, what should we do? We said before that faith leads to obedience. And that faith results in blessing eventually. And that means when God's promises seem too good to be true, what should you do? Should you give up? Should you get crafty? What you should do is wait. Wait. That sounds simple, doesn't it? Just wait. What did Abraham do that earned Isaac? What did Sarah do that earned Isaac. Nothing. They just waited. And God promised that he was going to do something. And if you noticed in chapter 21, the author's taking great pains to say, and God did this just as he said he would do. And Sarah bore a child at the time that God said she would bear a child. And then they named him Isaac 
as the, do you get the point here? Everything happened just as God said it would. It just took a long time. In Hebrews chapter 6, the writer of Hebrews is reflecting on the life of Abram, of Abraham, and he says this. He says, Hebrews 6.15, he says, Thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. If you look at the book of Psalms, which is this kind of collection of poems and reflections on what it means to, to be a follower of God, one of the commands that you see over and over and over again, this particular one is from, from Psalm 27, 14, but one of the, the commands you see over and over and over again is not go out and fight, or don't go out and do these things, it's wait, wait for the Lord and be strong and let your heart Take courage. Wait for the Lord. The best analogy or the best image of what it looks like to wait for the Lord or to wait in general is farming. We, my family, we were not farmers from our townhouse in, in uh, suburban Cary, surprisingly. Um, we're actually as far as you could get away from being farmers because the HOA mows our grass, so I don't know what that says. <laughs> so this is not an expert opinion. Um, but, but, but we started, uh, we, we started uh, planting, Lindsay and the girls, as part of their, their school, they started planting these little, uh, these little plants in, in, a, in a big pot that we, uh, that we have out on the, on the front porch. And so several weeks ago, they put these seeds down in the soil and what do you have to do after you put the seeds in the soil? You have to wait. But does waiting mean that you don't do anything? No, you, you, you put the seed, you plant, you have to water, you have to give it sunlight, you have to make sure the girls don't take it and dump it on the ground, right? And so waiting doesn't mean that you do nothing, it means you're continuing to obey, you're continuing to be faithful. You're continuing to use our community example. You're still opening up to people in spite of the fact that you've been hurt. You're, you're forgiving people that have hurt you. You're moving towards people instead of away from people. You're refusing to self-sort and find yourself around this group of Christians that think and look and act exactly like you do and instead moving towards people who are radically different from you but who are also disciples of King Jesus. You continue to be faithful. You continue to trust you continue to do what God says, and you wait. And I know many of you right now are sitting, are sitting here thinking, I've fallen for that before. I took that pill. It messed up my stomach. <laughs> but when it seems too good to be true, it probably is, except with God. And just like Sarah 90 years old, having been infertile her entire life, one day held her son named Laughter in her arms. And in that moment, it was better than she could have ever imagined. In the same way, one day, those of us here who are followers of Jesus, who have been adopted as sons and daughters in God's family, we will experience that type of community that we've always longed for. But we have to be faithful, we have to keep obeying, 
We have to not give up. We have to not get crafty. And we have to wait. So I want to invite the band to come back uh, on stage. We're celebrating communion again today. This is self-guided, so in a, in a second as the band's playing, when you feel ready, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you can go to these tables to, to, on either sides of the auditorium to get the, the juice, which represents the blood of Christ, and the wafer, which represents the, the body of Christ. And as you're going to the table today, remember, we call this communion, because what we're doing is we're celebrating that God, had, just like he promised to Abraham and Sarah that he would make them the parents of kings and nations and multitudes, he has promised to us that through his spirit, he is shaping us into this, this countercultural community that we all long to be a part of, but never really fully experience yet. And he shed his blood and his body was broken on the cross so that we could be one, so that we could be brothers and sisters, and so that when we screw up, when we get crafty, when we hurt each other in our little bumbling efforts to try to be this community that God's called us to be, we can forgive each other in the same way that Jesus has forgiven us. But not only that, God's greatest promise to us is that one day he's going to come back. One day he's going to come back, he's going to complete that work where we'll be fully transformed into that community that we were designed to be as disciples of Jesus, as members of his kingdom. Not only that, he's going to establish his kingdom here on the, in, in the earth, and he's going to let us live forever. Forever. And I hope you hear that and you're like, that sounds too good to be true. Well, trust me, it's better than you can imagine. Living forever in this kingdom, in this place, in this community, with no sin, sickness, or death, or evil, or natural disasters, getting to live forever in the type of place around the type of community that we were designed for. And Jesus says, one day, just like we take the little juice and the little wafer now, one day we're going to be eating and drinking with Jesus at the feast that he's going to use to inaugurate that kingdom forever and ever. So as you feel ready, you can make your way to tables. Think about the promises of God. Maybe there's something that you feel you just want to laugh about because it seems too good to be true. Come to God today and tell him, God, this seems too good to be true, but I trust you that you're going to do it, and I'm willing to wait. So come as the band leads us in two more songs.